0: The Boston Pride, the Buffalo Buttes, the Connecticut Whale, the Metropolitan Riveters, the Minnesota Whitecaps, and the Toronto Six. What do all these teams have in common? Welcome back to Closer Mentality, I'm your host, Julia Mellett. Today we're diving into what it takes to play in the National Women's Hockey League. My guest today is Boston Pride defender Mallory Suliotis. Suliotis' love affair with hockey stretches back to infancy, when she was drug around
1: to her older brother's games my older brother who's three years older than me started learning to skate and i of course as the little baby got you know dragged around um and eventually when i was you know old enough to kind of run around and wander off on my own and um i was just you know at every game i was hanging out with some of my brother's teammates younger brothers too um and I saw what he was doing, and I was like, of course, I want to do that. Um, I want to do that, and I want to be better than him. I'm super competitive. At that time, figure skating was the female equivalent. But
0: Silly just never gave it a glance. In her eyes, it was always hockey. When I was at the rink,
1: and I had told my mom I wanted to learn how to skate, she brought me over to the other rink, which had the figure skaters. And I was probably two, two and a half years old. My mom never... Really learned how to skate. Um, Hockey wasn't her thing. My dad grew up playing hockey, you know, through high school. So that's kind of what brought my brother into hockey. And obviously me watching, I want to do it too. My mom thinking, I'm a girl. I'm going to want to do figure skating. And I am as far from like a girly girl, as you'd say, as like as possible. I'm a token tomboy as a kid. Hopefully not so much now, I don't think I'm that much of a tomboy, but so my mom brings me over to the figure skating rink and I'm watching these like girls do like their team thing or whatever. And the coach came up to us and was like, Hey, this is a closed practice. Like you need to leave. And my mom is sitting there. She's like, what me and my two and a half year old can't watch your practice. And this is before camera phones really were a thing. So it's not like we could like videotape and send it to someone like were we spying or I don't know what this woman was was thinking. But basically my mom ended up just telling her, hey, so when my daughter decides to learn how to skate, um, you'll see her on that rink um, out there with all the boys and, and the stick in her hands trying to, you know, kill all the other kids. So. The other woman was a little upset. She was like, Oh, you can come to our open practices. And my mom was like, Nope, you, you ruined it. So see you later. Um, and then I just really never looked back. I absolutely loved it. Um, I love, you know, skating hard and just like feeling like the cold air in my face. I love playing as a team. I think it's a very team oriented sport, but, it's also individual, like you want to contribute the best you can as, you know, an individual towards your team's overall goal. And I just, I love that. Um, I love that aspect. I, I played on a mostly, mostly boys team at first there was me and another girl and, you know, obviously we were best friends, We're only two girls, of course we're going to be best friends and we were on, you know, this all boys team. And it was very normal. I just, and I played with them until I was probably like 13, 14. Um, I just felt like I was one of them. I was, you know, it was never something that um, I noticed as a kid. I'm sure the the boys noticed it or the other parents noticed it. Um, And my dad was always very protective and wary of like, if anyone was saying anything about like a girl being on the team. So um, he was always um, one of my coaches. So he was always very heavily involved Um, so there was no, never anything negative, um, when I was a kid and then I started playing all on a girl's team as well. And that was just so much more fun. Um, it was, it's a different game, obviously just playing against boys that are typically, um, at that age, you know, taller and, and bigger and stronger in general, just because, you know, girls grow so late compared to boys. Um, so that really... Pushed me to, you know, improve and and really push me outside of my comfort zone at times. That it translated to, you know, playing on my all girls team. It was, you know, really fun. It was really good hockey, of course. Um, it's just a different game, and it helped me become like a really good player. Seeing where the girls' game is now is just worlds away from where it was when I was a kid. There's all so many all so many girls teams and programs and there's girls skill clinics, there's, you know, girls hockey camps. Um, there's everything you could possibly think of that could have existed when I was a kid um, that was, you know, considered co-ed when hockey is a naturally more male dominated sport. Um, and, you know, yes, there are more girls than boys. Uh, there's more boys than girls. Playing hockey, it always felt like there was like one or two girls to every like 30 boys. And I would say that's no longer the case, um, which is just amazing to see how much the game has grown just in sheer number of girls playing hockey um, and sticking with hockey longer too.
0: A graduate of Yale in biomedical engineering, sticking with hockey allowed Siliotis to be selected eighth overall in the 2017 National Women's Hockey League draft. She's been with the Pride ever since, and is an advocate for women in STEM as well as in professional sports.
1: My freshman year, there was no professional league at the time. At, at that time, there was another league, but they were not paying players to play. Um, so I would say it's, you know, it was very competitive hockey, but it was not professional. And... I kind of figured at first, you know, I'd play in college and I would pretty much be done with high level hockey. But then going into my sophomore year, the NWHL was founded and I, you know, it, it piqued my interest. I watched a few games. Um, a game took place at Yale. So I went there and, and went to the rink and, and watched the Connecticut team play against, I think it was like Team China, um, which was really cool and seeing that the level of play wasn't too far off of where my game was. So I really thought it was it was possible and it was an opportunity to, to consider um, after college if that was something that I wanted to do and if that was something that would work out with my career in, in the sciences and, and in my you know professional career outside of hockey. Her
0: passion for hockey allowed her to begin a dialogue with the Boston Pride staff, which got her on the radar.
1: So after I graduated from Yale, I started, you know, training um, off ice and doing a little bit of work on ice um, when I could. I had just started my job. So I was kind of focusing on that as best I could, but continuing to, you know, work out and try to get stronger. And I, you know, reached out to a couple of the, of the people on the, on the Boston Pride staff. And they, they, you know, took a chance on me and, and they had seen me play before um, and thought I would be a, a good person to, you know, have on the team and thought that I could make an impact um, on the team right away, which was awesome to hear. You know, it's something that you, you really work towards your, your whole life to just be, you know, wanted and appreciated and, and at that point just needed Um, on the team so it was really exciting I would get to represent and play for my hometown team and um, I mean I can't explain anything better than you know you go out on the ice um, here in Boston and I see like my parents in the stands because they've you know they've been here since day one you know getting to see that Um, they're very proud of me. Her road to the pride was devoid of the NHL's anticipated
0: pomp and circumstance though as there was no in-person televised draft for the National Women's Hockey League.
1: I think going back to the end of my junior year, so the summer between my junior year and senior year, they um, held a draft. It was pretty much done over Twitter. Uh, the league um, Twitter account would kind of tweet out, you know, you know, um, Connecticut will with, you know, such and such pick chooses, you know, somebody from wherever college. Um, and it was, It was, you know, it was only on Twitter. It was not, you know, broadcasted live on TV or on, um, or live streamed anywhere in person. It wasn't something that we attended. Um, I remember actually just like going to a restaurant with my friend um, and just, you know, getting a drink and and some some dinner and and watching to see what would happen. Cause of course I knew it was happening but I didn't want to be, you know, staring at my phone and I wanted someone to be there. Um, to kind of experience it with me since um, I was actually at Yale for the summer. So my parents were were back home. Um, and once I, you know, my phone blew up basically with Twitter notifications and the NWHL had tagged me and I was like, oh my God, I actually got picked. I was absolutely shocked because there were so many talented hockey players in my college class just across all universities and colleges that I was, you know, honestly like surprised I was picked so soon. Um, I was happy I was done. Like I didn't have to wait till the last pick or anything like that. So I was like, okay, phew, that's done. Um, but also just like really happy and proud because I think it really, it, it meant so much more having other people, you know, see how talented and how good of a player you are. It just means something else.
0: When it began to register that she was now a professional hockey player, Sue approached her boss with a plan on how to proceed.
1: Yeah, um, because my job really pays me, you know, enough to li- to live off of without any other source of income, um, I spoke with my boss and some of my coworkers, and basically made sure that my schedule with hockey would not impact um, anything I was doing at work, so... Um, The league recognizes that at this moment, they don't pay enough for someone to live off of. And they recognize that you need to have other commitments, full-time commitments, whether you're a teacher or you're in school full-time or you
0: work a nine-to-five. The NWHL, now in its sixth season, does not pay players enough to make them full-time, so the players all have day jobs. Miles Arnone, Boston Pride chairman put salaries between 10,000 and 35,000 for 20-person rosters. And the league has just made the choice today to raise the salary cap to
1: $300,000. The league recognizes that and it and it works with, you know, it works around our schedules in a sense that, you know, practices are late enough that you can work and then practices later on. You're not going to miss practice or you're not going to miss um, certain hours of work you can still get your eight hours of work done um, and also that games are only on the weekends because you know that's basically a game day is like a whole day to me um, it's not something that I can go to work and then go to the rink after so games on the weekends and so that I'm not missing work of course sometimes we have to fly two games um, especially in the past um three seasons where we added Minnesota and obviously that's a flight we're not going to be busing out there so occasionally we would have to leave on a Friday um, afternoon they try to get us on a flight that's late enough that people can get their you know day job done but obviously there's some things you can't really work around um, my work is really flexible and that they're like okay well if you can get six hours of work done you fly, you get out there and do two hours of work later that night, or just, you know, use PTO or, or sick time or whatever. And I recognize that I'm going to need, you know, a couple days here and there for, for traveling for games, because that's, it's going to happen. It's not something I can totally avoid. Um, so they they love it. They really support it. My work loves that I, you know, am very valuable to the company, but that I also do this thing outside of work. That's really awesome. And last year they bought like 50 tickets to one of our games and had um, basically the employees who wanted to go to a game could go and just pick one up for free. So, you know, 50 essentially coworkers came to the game for free on, on the company's uh, bill, which was really awesome. So they, they love coming and they love supporting me and, and, and seeing what I'm doing for, for women's hockey.
0: Soliotis comes to the NWHL from a STEM background, but her teammates spend their work weeks in public school classrooms,
1: hospitals, and graduate school. I think we have a really, really widespread variety on the team. Um, We have a bunch of teachers, um, a couple teachers. um, There's a couple working in occupational therapy. One of them just started nursing school. One of them was working at MGH and is starting med school she was applying to med school and all this stuff um, this year and she starts med school this summer which is awesome for her Um, so she won't be playing next year but um, it's still really cool to see there's a couple of people that coach um, and do private lessons with girls Um, and then there's a couple you know in grad school for physical therapy I'm in grad school working towards my master's degree then there's people working for, you know, places like Fidelity. I think there's a couple other people working in, um, in you know, with investment banking, a couple of things like that. So I think we have a really wide variety. We're not all in, you know, in one like sector of work. So it's pretty cool to, you know, learn about what other people are up to and what their jobs have been like and um, learning as much as you can from your teammates is really important. So it's, it's it's really a really diverse group, and it's a lot of fun.
0: Although the league is small now, Suleotis says that she feels as though the Pride uses all of its available resources and connections to ensure the players function at their highest potential. That includes physical therapy, strength coaching, and mental health resources.
1: As I've probably learned a little bit too late, the mental game is super important, and it's something that I probably I wish I integrated into my daily life earlier, um, but better late than never. Um, As a team, um, we are privately and independently owned. So our staff, our leadership group, all the way from our owner to our president and our GM um, have done a terrific job at, you know, providing any resource we could possibly need Um, they, you know, had us do a zoom with a nutritionist, a, um, strength and conditioning coach during the pandemic so that she was able to provide us with some things to do on our own, essentially. Um, and with, um, sports psychologists or, you know, mental performance coaches, they've been really good at, you know, providing those resources. And if we, they don't provide them, they're very open to, helping you search for one or, you know, work with you to find what you need. If, if you need, you know, um, you know, an, an occupational therapist or physical therapist or something, they'll, you know, they'll work with you to to make something convenient work for, for everyone in, involved. Each NWHL team is privately owned, which
0: means that the teams are all at their own discretion to partner with sponsors and conduct business as the front offices see fit. The overarching Players Association, headed by Executive Director Anya Packer, coordinates the league's broadcast outlets and acts as the liaison between the league concerns, sponsorships, individual team concerns, and the players themselves. Each team has one to two representatives who meet with Packer and the board monthly to go over changes in the landscape of women's hockey. This includes broadcast rights to the NWHL Championship, which
1: NBC purchased. Absolutely incredible. We're super grateful for NBC for that opportunity. And then continuing to bring in more sponsors and show them that there's a really incredible product we have here at the NWHL and that it's something that they can really capitalize on. And if they invest in us, there's a great return back, um, not only to the sponsor themselves, but with our 50 50 revenue split, 50% of the money is going directly to the players while the other 50% is going to the league. So they're really impacting and changing um, the lives of the players as well. And then continuing to just, you know, get, you know, get media out there, get to content out there. So just more people see, oh, there's an NWHL. I can't tell you how many times, um, say the Boston Bruins tweet something, someone will comment, um, and it's not their fault, but it's someone will comment. I didn't even know they had pro women's hockey. And that's, you know, that's a narrative we've known for way too long. We're in our sixth season. Um, We need to, you know, continue to work to change that. And it starts, you know, from your regular newspapers to your online publications um, and even utilizing our, even just for our team, our brand sponsorships and partnerships, like we're partnered with the Bruins. They tweeted something out today and we're getting some really great feedback, you know, people, commenting and, and saying, oh my gosh, I'll have to check them out, stuff like that. So just continuing to build it's gonna it's a work in progress. Um, it's not perfect, but we're we're striving to just continue to grow um, and that's all that matters.
0: Silly Otis says that the support from the NHL makes her excited for the future of women's professional hockey. All of the six NWHL teams have NHL teams close by, so there's plenty of potential for collaboration to elevate the women's hockey League. During the last NWHL season, played in a bubble in Lake Placid, New York, the NHL teams sent fan cutouts to make the rink feel less empty while the women were entrenched in COVID protocol.
1: Yeah, a bunch of the NWHL teams are partnered or work with certain local organizations. Um, the Minnesota Whitecaps work with the Minnesota Wild a lot, which is great. Um, and then you look at the um, the Connecticut Whale um, as well as the Metropolitan Riveters, which are based in New Jersey. So you have Connecticut and um, New Jersey. And they worked a lot with, um, they've done a couple of things with the New York Islanders and the New York Rangers. Um, and they're st- they're doing some stuff with like the um, Bridgeport Sound Tigers, the AHL team. Like it doesn't even have to be an NHL team. It can just be, you know, other other more visible men's programs, getting involved and partnering. Um, I know a bunch of the NHL teams sent, um, sent cutouts to Lake Placid. I think Arizona Coyote sent a couple. Um, so it's just continuing to work with them because we see the value in working with them and continuing to grow women's hockey and not just men's hockey.
0: One of Suliotis's favorite Pride Bruins collaborative initiatives is called Learn to Play. It's geared toward youth hockey players whose parents and
1: guardians view the financial side of hockey as a barrier to entry. The Bruins had started a program and I think most of the NHL teams have this program called Learn to Play. And basically it makes, it increases access to learning to play hockey for kids, you know, nationwide, but in the Boston area, um, parents can get kids equipment head to toe, everything from helmet, stick, gloves, skates, everything a kid would need to try to learn to play hockey for a really low price. And the cost of hockey is, is ridiculously high. And it prevents so many kids from ever learning how to play just because it is an expensive sport. And that doesn't even talk about the ice time, but this program gives access to so many kids who wouldn't necessarily have access because of you know the cost and then it gets them 10 hours of instruction on the ice so not only do you get all the equipment to go and skate you're going to get 10 hours of you know hands-on coaching and we started a learn to play girls hockey program so then we're not only targeting just youth we're really targeting all these girls and we're adding in this extra element that some Pro- Boston Pride players will also be at those you know skating learn to skate sessions so that they'll actually get to see um you know professional women's hockey players because, because we think the visibility is so important and it's something we need to continue to work on you know be there you know, if you can't see it, you can't be it. So by showing up and being there, they can see the possibility of playing professional
0: women's hockey. All 25 American NHL teams have learned to play opportunities. The link to learn more about that process is in the show notes of this episode. Suli loves the direction that girls and women's hockey is headed. The atmosphere surrounding the NWHL is unlike the NHL in that it's a smaller community whose fans start at age two and begin to see the collegiate and professional playing opportunities early on. It's a hands-on fan base, and prior to this interview, Soliotis told us that she was on a Zoom call with season ticket holders
1: who had easy access to their favorite NWHL players. Having professional hockey is great. Um, girls can can dream of, you know, you explained it. So I hear parents explaining to, like, kids, like, oh, like, she plays for the the girl Boston Bruins, which is, like, a great explanation of, like, you know, basically pro women's hockey just because no one's heard of it and no one's heard of the boston pride yet um it's getting better but telling them that like oh like girls can play hockey too is is just you know it starts from all the way at you know age two all the way up and it trickles down so you you have your professional teams you have them on tv you have them on youtube or twitter having that online presence is great and then you look at the colleges that they're on and they're on ESPNU, um, going to games physically. Obviously that's not um, the case right now, but um, I know a lot of the colleges will do like autographs after the game. We do autographs after all of our home games and having that interaction with the girls um, is something you're not going to get from a Bruins game. Like when's the last time they had a, like an autograph line, You like got an autograph from every single guy. You just don't. Um, so having that interaction and quickly forming a really, like really special bond with some of the fans is incredible. And it keeps them coming to games and it's, and it inspires them to, um, to play professional hockey, if that's something they're interested in. Although the game itself plays by the same general
0: rules as men's hockey, the difference in play style and rules is evident, as it is with women's lacrosse and women's basketball. Certain aspects the fans are accustomed to with the NHL don't
1: transfer. So in men's hockey, there's checking. Um, So basically, and the, the way I explain checking is that if someone's coming down with the puck, you can completely ignore the puck and just go up and like hit them. Or hit them into the boards, or whatever. You can play the body, for women's hockey. You have to play the puck. You can't just go out and just hit someone. You have to be playing the puck, um, and that you don't get. You're not going to get the big, huge, thunderous, you know, hits or hitting someone in the glass or or whatever. Um, there's that. And then in um, men's hockey, there's fighting, um, which for us, and I'm sure you've noticed, like for men's hockey, they just wear like a visor so that it like just covers basically their eyes but like whatever for us we're wearing like full face protection because we're women like we don't really want to mess up our faces but um you know if that's what it takes to for us and so like fighting someone's pretty much useless because you're wearing a helmet like nothing i don't know i feel like it's kind of dumb i don't want to like punch my hand off of like a cage yeah um But, I mean, if that's what it takes to make it more entertaining and get more people to watch, then, you know, switch it to, like, the visor and fighting, sure. I think that would be fun.
0: Regardless of the rule changes, Julie Otis has made a name for herself in the NWHL these past seasons. She was awarded the 2019 and 2020 NWHL Foundation Awards, chosen by the Players Association and then voted on by fans. This award winner exemplifies, quote, the core values of hockey to her community, as well as growing and improving hockey culture. Suliotis uses her platform to raise awareness for the Epilepsy Foundation of New England, donating 100% of her jersey sales to the fund. The link to support Sir Leotis' sales and the Boston Pride is in the show notes.
1: I'm really lucky that I have this platform as a professional athlete. And it's something it's a platform I wouldn't have unless I was in this position. Um, You know, if I didn't play pro hockey, would I be donating money to epilepsy? Probably not. I wouldn't be connecting with as many people. My network wouldn't be as big, but given the platform that I have, I feel like I want to do something good with it. Um, Even if it's something as little as donating to the epilepsy foundation. Um, And because these You know, I met this girl, Julia, and, you know, she suffers from epilepsy and she's a hockey player. And that has severely impacted her ability to play um, because, you know, that's a health risk to her. Um, And it's just, I could never imagine having something I love so much like hockey, like basically ripped away from me. Like it's, you, you can't have it because of your health. And I think that's absolutely terrible. And she's not the only one. And there's other kids out there, um, you know, stuck in hospitals trying to figure out right medications or, or whatever it may be. Um, you know, their life's just a little bit, you know, worse. And I think if I can help that, help them out personally, help them out with events or whatever it is, um, anything I can do, you know, that's the least I can do at that point. Um, And so it's, it might be something small, but I think um, it means a lot to me when, when people, you know, tweet out a picture that they bought my t-shirt online, because not only like, I'm like, okay, yeah, they support me, but look, they also see what I'm doing and they support that, support what I'm doing as well um, and supporting the Epilepsy Foundation. So I, I'm grateful for this platform and I just really want to you know, change someone's life, make someone's life a little bit easier, because, I mean, personally, I think I'm pretty, I'm doing pretty good, so if I can do something with it, I might as well. That support, which spans the league, boosted regular season NWHL
0: programming nearly triple what it had been, with more than 2 million views this season on Twitch. At the Boston Pride, the team was already gearing up for an unconventional trip to the finals, one in which none of those fans would actually be in attendance. Mallory and I recorded this episode a week before she and the Pride were set to play in the semis. Definitely give an update then
1: on hopefully how good it goes. Fingers crossed.
0: Fingers crossed. After
1: beating the Toronto
0: Six in the semis 6-2, Juliotis and the team took on the Whitecaps. The Boston Pride then won the National Women's Hockey League Championship 4-3 March 27th over their Minnesota Whitecaps, its second since the NWHL began in 2015. The championship which aired for the first time ever on NBC Sports in the primetime 7 p.m. spot, played to the tune of more than 100,000 viewers. Suliotis says that the more mainstream attention that women's professional sports can garner, the better the storytelling will become. It's platforms like the Players' Tribune and recently founded Together, whose sole purpose is to amplify female athlete voices, which aid
1: in that endeavor. Those two platforms are incredible. Um you know, together is very new, obviously, but what they've done so far has been nothing short of amazing. Um, you know, why are we waiting around for someone to go and make it some, some male to go and start something? Why don't we just do it ourselves? This is, you know, a woman taking control and just, you know, taking that initiative and just running with it. And I absolutely love it. Um, and, you know, the Players' Tribune has done a really great job at not just focusing on male athletes, you have female athletes, you have Paralympic athletes, you have um, anywhere from young to old, former, you know, retired athletes. Um, And it's great to see their stories. And, you know, there's a lot of stories surrounding mental health. Um, There's a lot of stories, you know, people with terrible, terrible injuries and making these amazing comebacks or people that have gone through, you know, hell and back as a kid. Um, I think it's really important to showcase that on a platform, so that kids out in the real world can see that and say, "Okay, someone else has has been in this situation and has, you know, gone through what I'm going through, and look how far they made it. They can. It just shows you that anything is anything is possible, no matter where you are in life." or what you're going through at any different time in your life.
0: You can follow The Boston Pride and Mallory on Instagram at the Boston Pride and at mypalmal14. You can also follow at Closer Mental for updates on future guests and links to full-length interviews. If you have an idea for an episode or would like to tell your story, send us a direct message. Tune in next Wednesday when I bring on Levi Mavorhis to talk about playing baseball in the Big 12, the Cardinals organization, and founding an app. See you next week.